I have it on excellent, excellent authority. You're the one who's been making the phone calls. I have never called the Indiana Board of Nursing. I got a big smile on my face, and you know why? Because it's going to get done. What's going to get done? You will understand when the time comes. I'll be in Bermuda having a big Cobra Libra with a 22-year-old when it happens. That's you nice. You keep that in mind. Tanya, you enjoy your time left on this earth, okay? Because that's what it's going to come down to. Everybody knows it'll be you, and you're not going to make it to Bermuda. Oh, I'll be in Bermuda, Tanya. Oh, you'll be in Bermuda. So yeah. where will the kids be? Probably with your parents. Okay. Wondering, gosh, what happened to Mom? switch things up a little bit because this is a very familiar case. Interesting case yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, this was actually suggested to me when I did a Facebook post months ago saying uh, me and you guys, you know, a, a mother, daughter's podcast and uh, that we're going to, you know, do certain crime shows or certain stories and Dirty John was suggested to me. So I first got the podcast, I think, and I listed it. And then I think one of you mentioned the Netflix series. Uh, or did I watch the Netflix? And you told me about it. Told yeah. you guys about it. Mm-hmm. So um, I think this story, probably other than our very first episode with Elsie Underwood, um, fits in perfectly with our purpose of breaking down crime. And seeing why women stay. This is a lot of whys in this case. A wise, a lot of whys. Yeah. And, you know, next season I want to do like a man who stays with someone that's dangerous, you know, but this season it's mostly women. Um, but not only stay, but actually go back after knowing, you know, and so everybody's pretty familiar with Deborah and, you know, John Meehan and, and all of that. But, to me, this is a perfect story of red flags, personalities, mm-hmm. and all of those things that make people susceptible to predators. And it also, you know, shows uh, it doesn't matter your intelligence. It doesn't matter your background, your financial, you know, station in life. Um, you know, it's, it's not an intelligence issue. I, I think that's where people, they don't understand. It's a heart issue. It's a, an emotion issue. And I don't think people that have been victims or have been preyed upon should feel, I know you feel dumb and you feel, um, like, why didn't I see that? Or why did I stay? And all those things. Uh, I think we just need to understand that there are some people out there that are master manipulators and they know exactly what to say and hook you. And so this is a very good story. Now, of course, again, we're not, you know, psychiatrists or psychologists or in uh, law enforcement. I could say we are armchair, you know, psychologists. Um, but with me being a business consultant, you in HR, you work, you know, obviously for the Texas lottery. So, uh, so whatever we discuss is just going to be amateur opinion, but it is a fascinating story. Now, 
Um, the infamous Dirty John story is a perfect example of everything we've talked about so far in this season. But people, women especially, I think, because we're nurturers, because we're, you know, designed to care for people and things like that. We and can be, fix things. And fix things. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, we are. We want to fix situations like our kids, you know, boo-boos and, you know, well, I don't know about vehicles. I mean, I could. Well, you could. (laughs) Most women. But, you know, like some people get together with people and think that they can change them. Yes, that's huge, especially with women. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I think it's they look for the best of people and they want the best for people usually. Yeah. Yeah, so we can be too forgiving, too kind, and we can also dismiss or overlook red flags. And 65%, you know, of the population are as personalities, which we've talked about. The sweethearts of the world, the nurturers, the accepting people, um, humble, tactful, relationship-focused, everything that I'm not. That's a high percentage. <laughs> it is. 65. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 65%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. C's are the next, and then DIs make up 12% combined. Which you might want to explain. Well, the um, D is aggressive, bold, can be insensitive and rude. Jerk. Um, whatever. The C's <laughs> are straightforward, hard to read, and can also be jerks. And then <laughs> That's me, by the way. <laughs> and then the I's are like the fun-loving, life of the party. Me, for you sure. You know, people-focused. And then the S's are, again, humble, tactful, and accepting. And that epitomizes Deborah. Mm-hmm. And for people like her, again, smart, professional woman, um, it's hard to say no. It's hard to cut off those relationships that are toxic and dangerous. But everything she did seemed completely different from her personality. Yeah. Because she's strong, Well, and you can woman. be different in business versus personal. And she I loved her kids. Sure. Yeah. They came first. Like at home, yeah. I can tend to be um, more relaxed in you know than in business um uh, i remember one guy we did a assessment on him and at home he's an s but at business he's a cd so it can be your environment as well very much very classy lady um s's hate conflict they want everybody to get alone uh, or, or along and so again she's the epitome of this and um I want to discuss some of the why behind her decisions, but I don't want to put words in her mouth. So I'm going to try to be really careful with that. Uh, but knowing personalities like the back of my hand, I think we'll be able to be pretty safe in it. Uh, and again, like we talked about the last episode, filter kindness and goodness through street smarts. So I want to start with Deborah. I want to get into her. Um, and I've got, I didn't bring up the right picture here. So let me, um, it's this one. Let's see. Where is it? Oh, right here. So this is a more recent picture of her. And, um, you know, she's a very successful businesswoman, built an interior design business for over 30 years, absolutely loved what she does and did. Um, she designed model homes and clubhouses. And what I really liked about her, and this is the epitome of an S, is she liked to hire single women and mothers Mm -hmm. Uh, because she knew what it felt like, you know, to be a young mother and, and struggle. And she wanted to help. Yeah. And when she was pregnant and she had one child already, that's when her first marriage broke up. 
And the thing with S's is they are people focused. They need people in their life. They need connection. It's not like a D or a C personality that's task focused. Yes, we need certain people in our life, but we're also very independent and self-sufficient too. And so um, we can adapt, I think, a little bit easier than some personalities. Her occupation fitter then. Oh, it absolutely did. And pleasing. I mean, interior mm-hmm. design. Yeah. That's like huge when you help someone get their home the way they want it. Yeah. Now, at the point that John Meehan <laughs> entered her life, she was 59. Uh, she had been married and divorced four. Beautiful too. Four times. Uh, and her kids said, oh, sorry, is it, fin- oh, no, no, my Finji, do we, do we want to discuss no. your, okay, did I, what did I miss? I don't know. She'd it. been married and divorced four times. <laughs> hold on, hold on, let me count. Okay. Just can't go in there. But she was married and divorced four times. You're still married to your four, so you're good. Yeah, one more. No. That makes it better. <laughs> This cannot go in. Well, it might be too late. So, uh, all her kids are grown, and she's at the epitome of success. She's two kids. Yeah. Two kids? No, I think she had three, actually. I two. I thought, I thought it was, it was two, two not a boy. Oh, they didn't mention oh. a boy in the show. I, I think she might have, might have a son, but uh, I think it's in my notes. Okay. Now, her nephew was No, she had four kids. She had four kids, and they were all grown. So, I think she had three daughters and one son. Okay. Um, Just but two or more into her life, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, she um, was able to have, you know, the perks that come with success. You know, she was a wealthy and is a wealthy woman, uh, but she was missing love. I mean, she wanted someone to love her, and her kids, you know, said she always picked the bad ones. She was always drawn to the bad. Lonely, maybe, That's too. interesting. It is interesting. Now, I know when I was a teenager, I was bad to the, you know, or drawn to the bad, you know, like the, you know, the, uh, what was that, Jimmy Dean, you know, not Jimmy Dean, that's the sausage guy, James, James Dean. Dean. Yeah, Jimmy Dean. <laughs> well, the look, not the personality. I was attracted but the to the look. look. That's how your yes. dad was. That because everyone thought he was such a bad guy. So I thought, okay. mm. conquest. Yes, yeah. I will take him. Is and, that, wait, hold on. Is that a <laughs> S personality thing? Oh, well, she's an ID. Oh, sorry, ID. Yes. Yeah. Um, I can see the challenge. D's especially. It was a challenge. challenge. Plus, he's your opposite. He was a C. He, or my dad, he's not was. My dad's still alive. He's a C personality, and that's a a polar opposite. He's a leader. So. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so... From, you know, watching this series and the podcast, which was great, um, hosted by Christopher Gofford, um, she, it was like the last piece to her fairy tale. If she could find love, that was the last piece. She'd have the life that she wanted. Now, she was raised by a deeply religious mother, Arlene. And you guys know me. I don't like the word religious. To me, it's like stuffy and rules and, you know, sourpuss, you know, Christians. But from this series, it appeared that Arlene was um, sincere, um, had a deep, deep faith and commitment to God. Like, it was a relationship for her. It wasn't just religion. And her convictions guided her life. And, you know, we, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, you know, there was a twist in the story um, involving Deborah's sister that we'll get into that I think did play a role to a degree in how Deborah responded. 
Um, but we do know that Deborah's sister, her older sister, did die. And um, we'll get into that later. Now, Arlene's faith has influenced both Deborah and then Tara, her youngest daughter. I'm not sure about Jacqueline. She's actually my favorite. Um, she's a firecracker. So I really yeah, like yeah. her. But anyway, so Deborah was on an over 50 dating site. And she wasn't too impressed with the first three dates. Um, they were either less handsome than the profile pictures or she was bored with the conversation, um, which makes sense. She's a businesswoman. She's accomplished. You know, she needs to meet someone that's on her level as far as intellect and you know, stimulation, things like that. So uh, in October 2014, she found John Meehan's Me um, profile, and it said he was a Christian, divorced, and a physician. So he seemed perfect guy. He's also divorced. He'll understand that. He's a Christian and he's a physician, so he must be safe. Okay. So their first date um, was at a restaurant in Irvine. And I'm going to pull up the website here real quick and show you. And uh, it uh, is called Houston's in Irvine, California. So I looked it up. Yeah, and it's not super pricey, but it's definitely not not, you know what I mean, pricey. And if you look on their website at hillstone.com, you see wow. dining guidelines and dress code, okay? Wow. So it says guest attire can elevate or diminish the experience of others. We consider hats, tank tops, flip-flops, and team athletic attire too casual for our restaurants. Our restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's like even, you know, a guideline if you're going to eat there, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And so, you know, it's a nice place. It's not um, somewhere you want to go looking like this. Okay, so this this is actually not is down at the restaurant, but yes, he's wearing scrubs. And he was notor notorious for wearing scrubs. And we'll get into that picture in a little bit. But <laughs> um, she looked amazing, okay, when... Uh, they got together. She has thick, wavy blonde hair. She wore designer jeans and then a black Gucci or black Gucci high heels and Chanel bag. So she probably looked spectacular. Classy woman, has style, obviously. Well, he was a different story. So he's 55, six foot, two inches tall, not bad looking at all. Um, hard jawed, good looks and gem sculpted frame, quote, and dark wavy hair, but he wore shorts and an ill-matching preppy shirt. Uh, Christopher, the podcast host, said he looked a little weathered and he dressed lazily. Mm. But he was really into him himself. Is that grammatically correct? Um, right here is a picture of him holding, you know, uh, his phone in front of him doing a screenshot in the mirror, admiring his abs. So he was definitely focused on his looks, and he would do that quite often, I guess. Um, do y'all see the knives at the very top? No, not until you mentioned it. That's weird. So he has... Those are knives, right? Knives, yeah, like steak knives in a holder on top of a bookcase in the living room. Right? Hmm. I think so, maybe. A little weird. You know, by looking at them, they're a cute couple together. They are. And... See how friendly his smile is yeah, in his I face? Yeah, I say that. He does have a nice smile. Yeah. It's like... Um, disarming. Inviting. Yes, disarming. Mm -hmm. Like most psychopaths, no joke. Right. I mean, 
Uh, I'm serious when I say if I meet someone and immediately like them, I am wondering if they are on that psychopath level because that is one of the traits is they are master manipulators that set people at ease and you just instantly like them. And so he does. He looks very disarming in that picture. And so uh, it's funny because I have here in my notes that in spite of his appearance, he had a friendly smile that put people at ease. Yeah. So, and I teach this in my online course because, um, I, t I tell people when I train business, you know, business staffs, staffs, that the smile is the first thing a brain looks for. And then it looks for hands. So the brain's only job is to keep you alive. And when, like, if you think back to the last time you saw someone you knew, uh, or hadn't seen in a while, you, your face instantly, the smile, your cheeks lift, you get the little crinkles around your eyes, and then you'll even tilt your head a little bit. And it's a natural instinctive thing. Even the eyebrows go up a little. And when you tilt your head, you're showing that other person your carotid artery, which is the uh, most vulnerable part of your body. So what it does is it tells their brain you're safe. So the smile is that powerful. And I'm sure we've all had to either give a fake smile or we've gotten a fake smile. I mean, my reaction to a fake smile is, wow. Mine is I, I can't do fake smiles. Well, if I get one, I immediately don't trust them and kind of want to throat punch them. What about you guys? <laughs> I can't even remember if I've, had, if I've been given a fake smile. I guess I Probably. don't pay attention. <laughs> Maybe I haven't not paid attention. I don't know. Well, obviously, knowing a lot of body language in my business, I can spot a fake one right, right. off the bat. But, you know, the emotions are created by your facial expressions and also passed on by another person's facial expressions. So a fake smile uh, is not easy to, you know, to fake. I mean, people can tell. The brain can tell. So you look at this picture here, and he's got that genuine look like he's mm -hmm. a good guy. So because of that, she didn't have any um, faux signal. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was no faux signal that she could have had. Now, the other thing that's interesting is John was able to make Deborah feel like she was the only person in the restaurant, the most mm -hmm. valuable person to him in that moment. And he was very interested in her, uh, her business, her personal life. He wanted to talk about her, not just himself. A lot of people don't realize that most people want to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. And so when you have someone that's interested in you, yeah, yeah, you immediately notice, like, wow, this is interesting. And so um, now me, I would probably be more like, I'm not comfortable talking about myself. I'll never forget this lady. She had no clue. She was like a people person, one of those S's. I barely knew her. And she starts asking me questions about my husband, how long I've been married, and how many kids I have. And I'm like, you know, I'm just not really comfortable sharing that with you. I literally met you two hours ago. I mean, it, and, and she was like, I could tell I hurt her feelings. And so later I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. And she says, no, I do that. I just want to dive in and learn about people. And I don't give them an opportunity. And I'm, I said, no, it's my fault. I, you know, I should have done that. And this was years ago. Now I understand why people do that. At the time, I'm like, why are you being all nosy? They want to be friendly. Right. And they want to know about you. S's yeah. want to know about you personally. And you're dealing with a D. And I'm like, I don't want you to know about me personally. <laughs> I felt bad for a little bit. At least bit. you apologized. I did. 
but she's still nosy. So anyway, and then on top of that, he was a natural storyteller. And just some science on that. When you tell a story, your brains literally start thinking on the same wavelength. They've done fMRIs. It's one of the biggest rapport builders. So hopefully no one uses this information to manipulate people. But telling stories literally gets your brains working as one. Is that crazy? But you have to remember the stories you tell. Right, right. So then he did tell her about his work as an anesthesiologist with um, Doctors Without Borders. Now, later, she discovered that was all a lie. But at the time, he adapted to her and what he knew about her. So him being the true, or he being the true psychopath that he was, um, he was wanting to know about her so he could find those inroads into her emotions. Setting the groundwork. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it it's amazing how premeditated it was. We'll, we'll find that out later. So he did, he adapted to her. And again, psychopaths are master manipulators. Now, obviously I can't give a professional opinion that he was a psychopath. Um, but again, they're well liked right off the bat. So it's funny. Um, they can pick up wounding, you know, like sharks smell blood. Um, they can pick up wounding. They can pick up those little things that they like, how they hold themselves. They'll mirror the body language. And um, I, when I was in a leadership Clovis, uh, a chamber event or a chamber um, program, uh, I got you know picked as a president, even though I was trying to have a low profile. And um, so they picked me as a president. And they're like, who do you want as a VP? And I won't say the guy's name, but he was in the military. And I'm like, I want him because he's like, you know, to me, like Joe Biden. I'm not a Democrat, but he just everybody loved him, you know, and he was friendly and all that. And I'm like, he'd be perfect. I'm the jerk. He's the nice guy. Let's do this, you know. And uh, but one day we were on the bus going to one of the places and I started talking about psychopathic tendencies and what those look like to a couple ladies. And they said, well, is there a way to test that? And I said, yeah. And I didn't tell them what my score was. Um, <laughs> it's pretty high. But uh, uh, so he was like kind of listening to the conversation. And so he kind of, he came up to us. He goes, do you think I'm a psychopath? That's weird. That's an interesting question to ask someone. And I said, yeah. He's like, really? And I said, yeah, but there's a functioning psychopath and then non-functioning oh like Ted Bundy. And... Um, He's like, well, can I take that test? I said, absolutely. I'll send it to you. He's like, okay. And he scored four point something out of five. Well, after, so when he came up there and, you know, he, I told him I'd send it. Well, we started chit-chatting. And it was during the time when the, not this year, but like, I think, what, two years ago when the fires were burning up California. Mm-hmm. And his sister lived there. And his sister barely made it out of the apartment building with her son. Um during those fires. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, that's terrible. Now, just so you know, psychopaths don't typically have empathy. So when someone uh, that's a psychopath that have a high score say, oh, that's terrible. They don't feel anything. They're acknowledging it must be terrible. (laughs) Yeah, they don't feel it. Mm -hmm. But it can be very helpful in mentoring and pastoral care like I do um, to not feel the emotion because I can have a clear head. But so um, when he was talking, I said, oh, that's terrible. And he goes, well, she's, you know, a leech on the earth. So, okay. Wow. So that really let wow. me know he was a psychopath. And I was not surprised at all by school. Wow. Okay. But everybody loved him. Seriously. That's, 
They say a lot of doctors are psychopaths. They are. Lawyers, even salespeople. The top are engaged with people when you have no empathy because you have to have that relationship desire. Well, not necessarily because rapport is scientific. People don't know that. Um, Mirroring body language, um, showing interest in people, um, finding the things that are common ground are all scientific. That's a lot of work. But they're they're good at it and they consider it a challenge. And so... Um, now this would have been a cue to me. He told her on the first date that he, that he would be the best thing that ever happened to her. Red flag. Interesting. Oh. So, but why is that a red flag? Because that's confidence. No, that's arrogance and would have instantly turned me off. Be like, oh, really? You think you're the best thing that's ever happened to me? That's a little arrogant right there. It is. So you would have interpreted that as confidence. Uh-huh. Interesting. I, think so. I would have thought, what a douchebag is what I would have thought. Yeah. It actually would have been, it would have, it would have depended on the tone and how he was looking at me. That's true. Confidence to me is something like, you know, you're going to wear stripes with polka dots. That's confidence. No, that's that's confidence. I just remembered, I actually told Dusty, we hadn't even gone on our first date yet. We talked on the phone. I said, I'm the coolest girl you'll ever meet. <laughs> Apparently it worked. Don't tell people that. I know, right? No, so, it's going to be mean, for it was confidence. thousands of people to hear. <laughs> now, he, and how he said it is interesting you say that because he said very ingratiating with a laugh and a twinkle. Yeah. When he was looking at her. I'm so there was probably the chemistry, you know, and he did it in a way that me, I still would have been like, hmm. It might have made her laugh. Who knows? Probably. Plus, she's an S. I'm not trusting as a D. So I'd be like, wow. And she was looking for that fairy tale ending. Right. And I'd be like, there's no such thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he also told her they owned two houses, one in Newport and one in Palm Springs. He said they had a couple of kids. And that he just happened to um, go or to worship at her church, the Mariners. That was the name of the church. Very well, convenient. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a flag to me as well. Like, this is too good to be true. Like, you happen to go to my church a couple times. You have kids. You have two. You know, I don't know. I it Again, it just would have been weird. But, yes, it, it was a very large church. It's considered a mega church. And I read up. Uh, about them on their website, and it seems like a great church. So, um, and then here again is like people like him know exactly what to say. So I don't know if he picked up on it or if his gut told him or if maybe she she told him during the course of the conversation, but her last serious boyfriend had said that she wasn't his type. So it was a serious boyfriend and then after being in this serious relationship, he ends it with, you're just not my type. Mm. So that hurt her deeply. Yeah. And so I'm sure he could tell she was wounded. She was the perfect target. wonder if he did research on her, too. I'm wondering, too. Because she's sort of a public figure. You know, that's a good thought because, like, when I'm working with people, like, for example, I've been helping a lady hire people in her business. I go to people's uh, Facebook 
Yeah, we do that. A lot of yeah. people do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can tell what their personality is. I can, t- you know, and so that's a, people need to know. Your Facebook is yeah. looked at. In fact, one lady was overlooked for even an interview because she put, I may always be late, but at least I'll be there. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you're not going to get hired. Yeah. And being <laughs> in of- HR... Yeah. We look when we're investigating. We look before we hire. It's yep. a telltale A lot of companies do it now. Yeah. yeah. So know that on your Facebook. Right. But he told her that she stopped his heart. She was so beautiful and she was just his type. The, the first, first date? Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. While, she, while he was caressing her. To her Two red back. flags so far. I think four. Now... She did admit it was a little fast for her, you know, mm-hmm. but she was eating up his attention. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no telling what she's thinking. Like, why can't I make it work? What's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Like, I'm sure, you know, she wondered if maybe there was something wrong with her, why she couldn't stay married, why she kept, you know, running men off. I mean, maybe that's what it was. But And all- her personality probably was like, Oh, he's probably just nervous. First date. Yeah. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. She did excuse him a lot. She was definitely going to excuse him. And again, I think a lot of it was, you know, her personality and probably a lot of it was her background with her mother. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Uh So you think great first date, you know, end it with a um, goodnight kiss at the door, you know, promise to call soon. Um, Well, she brought him back to her penthouse just up the block from the restaurant where they did kiss. Then, I guess he was inside. He plops on her bed and said, this feels incredible. <laughs> that red flag. Very much so. Again, I'd be like, you're not coming into my house. I don't know. You could be a killer. <laughs> and then to go straight for her bed and do that. So it's he's not hiding that he wants to sleep with her. It make me uncomfortable right It made away. me very uncomfortable. Like, are you going to rape me? Uncomfortable. I don't know how y'all would be. Me too. No, because he was on his back. That's a vulnerable position. This feels great. That's just an awkward. It's a little awkward. Talking immaturely. Oh, this feels great. Okay, I need you to get on my bed now. Right. And she did. She was very uncomfortable. Good for her. She asked him to leave, but he wouldn't. And uh, oh so. Oh, my gosh. She wasn't mean about it. She was very polite about it, but. Um, she did let him know firmly that she was ready for him um, to leave and for the date to to end. So he got really mad, mm-hmm. and it ended with a fight. And so she was like, that's the last time I'm going to hear from him, and I'm not going to call him. And she just marked him off like the last three. Part of Deborah Newell's story was the people that she enlisted to help her leave John Meehan because she understood that the most dangerous time for someone that's in an abusive relationship is when they leave them. That's when 80 to 90 percent of the murders occur or the attacks. And so at helpguide.org, they have a great article called How to Get Out of an Abusive Relationship. And they also have one for men, Help for Men Who Are Being Abused, which to me, if you're a man that's being abused, I think it might be even harder because you have to admit that someone is exercising abuse over you. But this article goes into signs that your abuser is not changing. Uh, for example, he minimizes the abuse or denies how serious it really was. He continues to blame others for his behavior. He claims that you're the one who is abusive. 
He tells you that you owe him another chance. You have to push him to stay in treatment. He says that he cannot change unless you stay with him and support him. He tries to get sympathy from you, your children, or your family and friends, and he expects something from you in exchange for getting help, and he pressures you to make decisions about the relationship. So they have safety planning for abused women uh, in this article, protecting your privacy, uh, numbers and things, including domestic violence, shelters, etc., and even how to protect yourself after you've left. So it's a really good article. And again, they have one uh, to help men who are being abused. And if you hear a meow, that is Joseph in this uh, short clip. So helpguide.org, go there and get the resources that you need if you're in one of those relationships dates. Now, I like how Christopher phrased her perspective as a designer. So let me read this to you. When people walked into one of her exquisitely arranged rooms, they were invited to imagine their futures in them. She called them approachable dreams. They were like glossy ads in upscale lifestyle magazines purged of kids' toys and dirty dishes and other real-world complications. Her perfect rooms were like the face you presented on dates, inviting people to fantasize about the peace that may complete their lives. If your eagerness or loneliness or desperation showed too soon, you were done, and maybe that was John's mistake. Mm -hmm. But I also think it shows what she was looking for. She was able to make dreams come true. She was able to perfectly place those books and that artwork, but she couldn't seem to complete her life, you know? And she didn't trust her gut, though, unfortunately. He called the next day, apologized, and said that he acted that way because he wanted to spend every minute he could with her. Mm -mm. And I'm thinking if he would have known his end, he might have picked a different target. Yeah. He would have known his end. He might have picked a different target. Okay. Once John knew he had her hooked because she forgave him and agreed to another date, he began telling her he loved her right off the bat. Red flag. I know. It's amazing. I mean, it just makes you wonder how much she wanted someone to love her. Because I just, or again, the personality thing. Um, And then he told her it was either on the second or the third date that he wanted to marry her. And there's another one. Now, okay, so to me, they would be red flags too. But I remember when me and uh, Mike started dating, we knew we would marry. I did on our first date, but I knew him for a year. I knew of Mike and had seen him a few times, but I didn't know him very well. But we knew we would marry. And and we talked about it on like the second or third date. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I don't know on that, but I do know... Um, saying we, I love you was not, I mean, we even discussed marriage, but we did not say I love you. Uh, and even to this day, it's, it's like for some people, they love it every day or several times a day. For us, those words are so special, you know, that when we say them, it means a lot, you know, so that's, we had that core agreement when we got married that we wouldn't use them every day. We wanted them to be special. For other, you know, for others, that's what they like to hear. And actually, we say it all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actions are more all. important actions to me. Are yeah, more important. Yeah, and when that's what me and Mike had said that you, we, you know, people can say I love you all the time and they don't, and so to us it was actions. It's just a word. Sometimes. Yeah, I, yeah. I speak the truth. If I don't mean it, I don't say it. Right. But so most people. Yeah. Like on the end of a call, I love you. Yeah. 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 I say it. Thing. I mean it. And you know, it's funny. Like every once in a while, I will tell Mike I like you. 
Yes, I say, and that that to me means more because you can love someone and not like them, right? You know? So, what was her reaction with the marriage? And I love you. That love you definitely would have freaked me out. She didn't say. I mean, again, she felt it was moving too fast, but I think she was eating it up. I think yeah. she, it, he was just. He was filling that tank in her that needed to be filled, that love tank. And um, so she dismissed how he was always wearing faded and frayed blue medical scrubs. And this is the the picture here. Yeah. So she was at a formal cancer event. And you can tell, you know, she's dressed to the nines, looks very, very nice. Um, He showed up in scrubs. And... He had the ability to make her feel incredibly special and wanted things that she was starving for. And she texted him after one of their dates and said, so you are the real thing? And he said, best thing that will ever happen to you. Interesting. He's behind her. Mm-hmm. Sort of hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He really is. Quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so after this, things began moving really quick. So let me give you a quick timeline. October 2014, that was their first date, okay, that ended with a fight. November 2014, not even a month later, um, John and Deborah move in together in a beautiful house on Balboa Island in Newport Beach, which I like, you know, Balboa, Rocky, Balboa. Adrian! Anyway. um, (laughs) I know exactly where it is. It was in Deborah's name. She paid $6,500 a month and 12 months in advance. When was this? What November year? 2014. Okay. It was a nice place. Yeah. And he didn't want his name on the lease because of tax problems. Another red flag. Yeah. I think we're up to maybe 10. Right. Then within a month. December 2014, they get married in Las Vegas. So here is, um, and this is just a picture of her. To, you know, see how pretty she looks that she sent him through a text message. She's beautiful. But right here is where they got married uh, in a, one of those chapels. She was there on business, and they went to the courthouse with no drink, uh, no guests, and then they drank lemon drop martinis after to celebrate and no prenup. And they didn't tell anybody. Mm-mm. No. So, um, so to me, that says you're sort of ashamed. You well, know, if you wouldn't tell somebody your own yes. kids. Yes, and what I don't like about it is, so she's successful, but I don't think she valued herself. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's like, wow, why would you want to marry him with no guests at a courthouse in Las Vegas? Like, it just feels like it was a business transaction. And I would have been like, if you want to marry me, you're going to make it special. You're going to, why do you want to just get married in a courthouse like it's no big deal? Now, there's one thing where you get married in a courthouse because maybe your husband's getting deployed or you want to go ahead and have that out of the way and then a nice ceremony and a nice, you know, reception. But that wasn't what this was. He pressured her the entire trip to get married. So they go on their first date in October and in December they're married. She, well, and she's a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I mean, not in, that that's a bad thing, but that's also part of her profession. It too. is. 
It is. He's just making him happy. And that's a good point because S's are people pleasers. They don't want anybody upset. Like the other day, um, Gigi, my father-in-law, was having, his heart was racing again. And I said, I really wish you would call the doctor Monday because he's waiting for them to call him back for some, he had to wear a monitor and all that. I'm like, I really think you need to call him sooner and get in. And he said, well, I'll call him Monday. And I'm like, okay. Well, then later that night, we had our um, church over as usual on Fridays. And I said, but he said he's going to call Monday and get checked out because we we're going to pray for him. And he goes, well, I just told you that. <laughs> what? So, so you you'd be, all people. So you'd be quiet yeah. about it? Yeah. yeah. And people so people do do that though. His um, friend Darina said, and you think that's going to satisfy a D? Like you're going to pacify a D personality? I'm like, so you lied. Well, no. To them, it's not oh, a no, lie. Oh, no, you lied. Right. You lied. No that was a lie. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, fine, I don't care. <laughs> That's basically how I was. And then I found out, Dorita said, so you are going to call Monday, right, though? And he's like, yeah. And then he didn't. And I said, Dorita, he lied to you, too. But it has, it, there's no malice. It's not malice. It's the conflict. To avoid the conflict, they will just say yes or whatever you want to do. Yeah, because if they hear. say no... Then everyone's going to be... Blah, 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 yeah. Blah. Yeah. I wonder if he was invited on that trip or did he manipulate It him? almost sounds like he manipulated and pressured her. Right. From what I heard. So, yeah, it, it just feels like she didn't think she was valuable enough to have something more special. Look, she's all the way straight. He has to lean into her. I know. It's very interesting. And even the way they are right here. Yeah. It's... It looks like the pictures look very awkward. Um, that doesn't look like a newlywed. No. They're separated. Mm-hmm. No arm around each other. Right. No hugging. No. He looks happy. Well, she, of course. Yeah. She looks not too Tense, sure. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. But she absolutely adored him. You yeah. know, so there's no getting around that. But, yeah, they don't look like they were. But for her, she said she felt like it was an opportunity to love again. So now opportunity to love again. Yeah. So maybe grow into the love. A lot of women do that. Right. They they notice things but they're like, you know, I'm just being picky or whatever right. it is. So you might want to know about her family. What did her kids think? What you know. So Jacqueline is Deborah's oldest and she lived <clears throat> with her at the time. How old is she? I don't know. Um, now she's probably in her thirties at the, right. um, at the time, I think she's mid twenties maybe. Um, but she met John the first night he showed up at the house, which I thought was weird. There's no way I would have someone that I met on the online dating site know my address. But anyway, he showed up at the house and she made it clear to him and Deborah that she thought he was a loser and maybe even homeless. And then she left. <laughs> oh my. So I love Jack. Like she's a D to the core. She said wow. that in front of him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So open the door. Yep. I wonder what his reaction was. He was not happy. I and imagine. Jacqueline's very savvy, and she said that she watched him as his eyes took in their velvet chairs, jewelry, and fine art. And then he happened to notice um, her safe, and he wanted to know what was in her safe. And that's where she kept her Birkin and Cartier bags. And um, she uh, said that she told her mom that she wanted to get the creep out of there. So wow. she could tell. She could tell right off the bat. And again, it's a D. It's a DS situation. A D's like, why are you? Why are you taking in all of our nice, you know, things? 
And so she didn't trust him. But Deborah expected that to be Jacqueline's response because her taste in men often exasperated her children. So even though there were clear signs, she dismissed it. So again, it's Jacqueline's a D. And so predators typically don't pick Ds. Um, I'm sure there are some that have, but a D will tell it like it is. And if they don't like you, they're unrefined. And what I mean by that is, you know, some Ds have learned to refine their aggressive, refine their opinions. You know, like I'm a D, if I'm around an S, I'm not going to tell it. Like I do warn people, don't ask me what, how, if I like your dress, you I'm know, like or that. your hair, because I will tell you. Me too. You know, I'll try to be nice, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And, but I'm not going to say, well, you look like a lime in that dress. You know, like I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to say, well, you know. Because they ask. So you tell them. Yeah. Well, an unrefined D can be so bold as to say, I think you look like an idiot in it. Like that's just how they are. And so right off the bat, you know, and then I'm sure Deborah and Jacqueline probably clashed at times because Deborah's a polar opposite of Jacqueline. Polar opposite. Even that evening. Mm-hmm. And predators, I think, are drawn to S's. So, so anyway, Christopher said that her friends jokingly said, where other people saw red flags, she saw a parade. <laughs> so, a parade? Yeah, like your parade's happy, you got flags in a parade, everything's great. Oh. Yeah. So, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I get it with the flags. Yeah. <laughs> So Deborah kept the fact that they lived together and they were married from her kids because she knew that mm-hmm. um, what they'd say, but her kids didn't see how she he brought her coffee in the morning, got her groceries, took her Tesla and Range, Range Rover in for maintenance, and even carried her purse, which I think is weird. That would be weird to me. Don't carry my purse. How he treated her blinded her to any danger and really caused her to make irrational decisions like marrying a stranger after only two months. She truly believed that the kids would love him once they got to know him. And especially Tara, the youngest, who was just as sweet and as kind as her. What Deborah didn't see is that John had effectively isolated her from her family. And that's what most predators do. He then told her that her family was just jealous and her kids were uh, spoiled. And so we're almost to the end of this podcast. But after she started dating John, Jacqueline moved out early in the relationship. Now, Tara lived in Las Vegas and had no idea how fast things were moving. Like, she she just didn't know. Where Jacqueline was assertive, Tara was non-confrontational, but even Tara had concerns. Tara is, to me, sweeter than her mom. And um, she saw red flags. Like, if he's so great, why was he single? (laughs) Good question. Yeah. But then the same question can be asked about her mom. Is she so great? Why has she, you know, been married so many times? Well, you know, there's just, you don't know, you know, so you could say both sides of that. But also Tara was very protective of her mom because she saw how some had pretended to be Christian and then they would scream at her, hit her and get as much money out of her as she, as they could. So when she and her uh, boyfriend, Tara and her boyfriend moved to Southern California to meet John, they weren't impressed. Um, John was cold. He barely made eye contact. He cut her off when she'd ask questions. Um, he was helping uh, Deborah move into the new house, which, of course, we know they were moving in together, but they were keeping it under the wraps. Uh, he manhandled a queen-size mattress down the stairs by himself like he was trying to show off. And then here's something that really worried her, Tara. Her three dogs were anxious around John, and dogs never lie. <sighs> 
because she's an animal lover, a dog lover. And so, um, she, she thought that was weird and she worked at a dog groomers at the time, but she dismissed it thinking they were just picking up the negative emotions she was feeling. It is strange that Deborah hid so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not really actually, because S's will, they will hide things because they don't want the conflict. You know, the, the, um, biggest fear of an S personality is lack of peace and harmony. But I would think if someone's hiding stuff, they must be ashamed. Well, if I'm hiding things I either don't want to hear or I'm embarrassed by the situation. Well, and obviously the oldest daughter was very aggressive and rude, on, and she's probably even more so with her mother. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So True. I think it was the conflict. But then Tara was also wanting to know, well, if he's what kind of doctor does have a car? Why has no one ever been to his very two houses? Practical. Um, and then why did he have time to play video games all day if he was so busy? So these, I mean, Tara was like picking up stuff, you know, and so she was quite discerning. And then it, because her and her boyfriend were staying there a few days, it made it very hard to hide the fact they were living together. So what happened was right before Thanksgiving, um, Tara found some of John's stuff in a closet and Something very unusual happened. Tara got very, very angry and yelled at her mom. And so John was instantly enraged, wanting to know why Tara was going through his things. Well, what she thought was weird is she found a nursing certificate. I thought you were a doctor. So it, it was just weird. She was angry at him, not at the mother. Well, she was at mad. Her she Both was mad. Them. Because, yeah, it's like, why... why it, are y'all living together? You know, like how far is this relationship? And um, so uh, he even asked Tara if she realized that kids could be smacked for snooping through people's things. Now, I have to say, if a strange man talked to my son like that, done. You better not right. You need to get your stuff and leave. And now them being grown, I think I'd still have that response. But... Again, I didn't go through the, you know, the words he'd say to her and how well he was treating her, but I don't know. I think that might be a little tough. It would have at least caused a fight between me and him. But he alienated her from her children, too. Right. Which, right. on her personality at the beginning of the story, her kids were everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of weird. So well, That's interesting how he was able to do that, because... If her kids were everything. Not if, but, I mean, you know, being that her kids right. were everything, he was very good. He was very good. Very, very good. Yeah. Master manipulator. Now, um, Tara and her boyfriend left right then, and they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving with the family. And so, um, but something bothered Tara even more. Why did he have that nursing degree? So, um, John explained that he had a Ph.D., an advanced training as an anesthesiologist, but that doesn't even make sense. There's mm -hmm. no such thing. Mm -hmm. um, but Deborah didn't seem bothered by the fact that he had led her to believe that he was an MD for two months. Okay. She's a very successful woman. She may have had previous relationships where it had made other men uncomfortable. Um, her success and Good point. Good point. So she might have been wanting to protect him and not bring up like, okay, I thought you yeah. said you were a doctor. That's a really good point. Cause that's exactly how Ines would be. Yeah. Very good. 
So um, then, you know, I mean, obviously she's starting to get worried about the situation, you know, like her kids don't want to be around her anymore. It like she's losing everybody. So she asked her mom, Arlene, what do you think about John? And Arlene said, I think he's a great guy. And that interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, the Christian thing, being naive. And so when Jacqueline showed up um, later after all this happened, um, John asked for a private word with her. And Jacqueline basically said in front of everyone, you're the devil. And refused to talk to him. She knew. She knew. I think I think probably for John, Jacqueline was a challenge. Maybe to change her mind. Yeah, to try to manipulate her too. But he just, she she wouldn't let him. He didn't know his audience. Mm -mm. Like, they're not going to go privately talk to you. They don't Mm -mm. care. Yeah, they don't care. She already judged him from the start and knew what he was. Yeah. And so it gets worse. Um, Deborah wanted a professional's opinion on the situation. And so, and I can understand, you know, here she has this charming, loving man that's doting on her and filling her love tank in excess, but then her kids don't like him at all. Uh, even sweet Tara, which was kind of confusing. But her mother does. Her mother does. So I'm sure it was a confusing time and it was really hard. So the therapist she found said that she had firmer boundaries with her children and that they have no right to sabotage her happiness. Now, this makes me mad to a degree because I do a lot of mentoring. Now, I'm not a professional, but I do a lot of mentoring and I never take one side. I want to know the other. And I want to ask questions. What bothers you? What are you seeing? You know, so even if people come to me and say, my husband did this to me, I may be irritated that that happened, but I'm still going to try to say and get inside the head of, okay, well, let's break that down. You know, what could have triggered that? Not saying it was your fault, but it could be something as easy as how you said it, or maybe they're just being a jerk. So after hearing all of the facts, we can come to the conclusion, okay, he was a jerk. He shouldn't have done that. Or she was a jerk. She shouldn't have done that. Um, so it's not excusing. It's not trying to make the other person feel like they sparked that behavior. But I want to know all sides. And it just upset me that this therapist reinforced. Now, the other side of it is, did, did Deborah tell her? She was dating him, and two months later, they're married. Mm-hmm. It validated her mm-hmm. saying, oh, it's he's okay then. My right. therapist said that. Pleaser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that... So, her kids did seem a little bit spoiled, but that's, you know... And, of course, John agreed completely with the therapist. So, John and Deborah enter into a routine. They watch the sailboats and yachts in Newport, Newport Harbor. They walk hand-in-hand. Um, he continued charming her with his vulnerable and sweet demeanor. Um, he takes selfies of his abs and explained how good looking he was in front of the mirror, which we saw that picture. But Deborah was tired of her wardrobe. So when she told him, he said, well, dress me. I want to please you. And so um, she took him to Brooks Brothers, bought him all the new wardrobe, and she said it felt like having a doll. Wow. So... I think to end this part one, it's that we have to know, too, that Deborah was getting just as much out of this. Yeah. He was manipulating, but she was getting the doll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even though he was a master manipulator, she was still 
um, you know, getting what she needed from it. And I think that's a caution people need to understand that, okay, if you get attached to someone extremely fast and strong, take a pause and breathe and say, okay, what, what exactly, why am I feeling so attached so fast? You know, because even though Deborah was a great person, I think she was so starved for affection and companionship that it was almost like selfish on her part too. So not to, you know, disparage her in any way, but it's like, you're willing to give up your children for this man. So that tells me that you're getting something so strong that you're willing to lose that. And that's selfish too. So, Mm You don't want to enforce your kids to run your life, but you also need to take into consideration something might be wrong. If both of them come to you with the same opinion. Yeah. Mm. And I remember when um, Dad and Shirley separated. So Dad went to Clovis, and I'm living with Shirley in Odessa until we moved to Childress. And she started dating a guy not long after he my dad left. And you can imagine how I treated him. I don't even think I said two words to him. He'd come to the house and I'd just stare at him. And, or I'd go to my room or I just, you know, I just couldn't stand that someone was there other than dad. So you had all of that. Plus, I, I right. really didn't like her much at the time. I couldn't understand why my dad left me with her. And so, you know, there was a lot going on. But to me, he was a sleaze bag and I had a bad feeling. And I remember thinking, um, don't be alone with him ever. And I didn't. I was very cautious. And I even told her I don't want to be alone with him. And she made sure she, that she was really good about that. She took, she made sure I didn't get harmed. And later I found out he was exactly what I thought. Wow. wow. So, so you knew. I was, I was in a situation like that. I wasn't even a teenager yet. And there was someone who made me very uncomfortable. And he shut me in a room and was like chasing me around. He, a few years later, got convicted of rape. Oh my God! Wow, I do. So we're not have names, of course. We can discuss this after. (laughs) But I, I appreciate to this day that Shirley protected me. Yeah, I do. I bet your dad had a lot to do with that. Probably, probably so. I mean, he did. He he taught me stuff like that. I bet he did. And she might have been scared of dad too. I was going to say because if anything happened to his girl, he would have killed her. Do y'all remember um, back in the 80s? I think I was probably 13 at the time, so it would have been 86. Um, And I remember watching TV, and there was like a news break-in. You know, like they broke into the show. Mm -hmm. And it was this guy that was being extradited um, from one part of the country back to Alabama. And they had on the TV where they were taking him off the plane. um, And this man had molested this uh, other man's son. And so they get them to Alabama and they're taking them off the airplane. And it was one of those airplanes where you had like the stairs that came right. down. And the dad just walks up and shoots them dead right there on TV. And I remember I was like, oh. and, and so me and dad were watching. I'm like, dad, oh my God. You know, and uh, because they, it, it was live. They were, you know, filming this guy coming back because he had molested and, and they didn't expect a dad to come out with a gun and just shoot him on TV. So it was like one of those deals. And dad said, good for him. Right. I, I said the same thing. He said, Lillian, 
If anyone ever hurt you like that, I would shoot them dead and not care at all. And I said, but dad, you'd be in prison and I wouldn't have you. And so that like, but then on the other hand, it wouldn't be a memory and experience you'd have the rest of your life. Right. Well, and the guy got off. Yeah. A jury said not guilty because oh, he it's temporary. Him? Oh, he killed him. Oh. But the dad, the dad got, got off. off. Now today he probably wouldn't because people care more was, about the criminals yeah, than they yeah, do the victims. But back then they let him, In the they 80s. let him go. Yeah. So you're right. <laughs> she probably knew yeah. not to let anything happen to me. But anyway, so you know. We'll, we'll end part one here, but, uh, it is, it's, I mean, just the red flags and talking with y'all, it's, it's like screaming danger. And the fact that she married him without a prenup is incredible. That's really interesting. No prenup. She's a very good businesswoman. But trusting. She's a trusting soul. Did she do that with her other marriages? I don't know. I don't know. Typically there's (laughs) patterns. Yeah. I have no idea. So, all right. Now, I'm going to have to confess. Uh, about? Being a D, I don't like to lose. So I just want to preface this fun thing with that <laughs> statement. You know, the last time I was here, we had a bet between sprinkles Cupcake. and nothing but cakes. And which one Mike would like the best, remember? Right. And so, okay, Sprinkles, uh, Dallas, I believe, mm-hmm. if you're ever Which there, you got to get a Sprinkles, and it has the cupcake ATM. And I'll probably put a picture of me getting my cupcake on the Instagram page. Um, to me, my favorite. Now, you got me one. We don't want to say who. Um, I don't remember where, but it was, I didn't like it as much. I think that tried. Yeah, yeah, tell me. Uh-huh. So, you know, just want to put that in there. But anyway, so then after we get my sprinkles, we then go to nothing but butt cakes, which are amazing. Mm -hmm. They are amazing. And we got... Which I practically had to force her to do. Whatever. So what was it like? Vanilla? Was it the vanilla one? Vanilla raspberry. And then there... No, that's white chocolate raspberry. White chocolate raspberry and the vanilla. And he loved the vanilla. He tried them. Yep. I lost... I lost. Which you went around the kitchen all night with the little sour face. Whatever. You know. Like that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Mike was scared at first to even say. No, he was not scared. That man does not get scared at all. But he was maybe hesitant because he didn't want me to look like I lost. But I do have to say, I will admit now, I was a little fussy then. Nothing but cakes is... Probably oh, number good. one. It's so good. Not to you, it isn't, but not the gluten free. The gluten free is pretty amazing. So if you if you need gluten free, mm-hmm. them sprinkles is a lot of fun too. But I have to I have to admit, I think they're probably the best. But I'm still gonna get my sprinkles. Yes, I'm excited. I'm gonna see if they have a flavor on that like. Yeah, and I think with sprinkles though, so like if you're gluten free, they only have like a flavor that day, so you yes. can't pick what flavor you want. But I've had the two. I had the red velvet, which I don't normally like red velvet. It was amazing. And then I had, I think the lemon one was the last one. Alina suggested today that they may have the fall flavors out. Like a pumpkin. pumpkin. That would be awesome. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they have. It's like so exciting. Don't know what's going to be available. Drive all the way to Dallas to this ATM. Mm -hmm. And it's pink. It's a pink ATM. And I don't even like pink. But it's awesome. (laughs) 
it's fitting. <laughs> it is. So, I think we're done with this part one. So, be rude, be smart, and don't be a victim. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph?